On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking a lot about the upcoming NFL draft later tonight, get into some of the Patriots' options at number 15, should they pick there, should they trade up. I will also take a look at some of the latest rumors as we approach uh, draft night. We will also do a mock draft of the whole first round. Um, And then we will also get to some other notes from around the league, other kind of non-draft notes. Uh, We will get to the NHL, talk about the Bruins. I'll give my official pick for the seventh player award. And we'll also get to some news and notes from around the NHL, including the new broadcast deal for Turner Sports. Uh, We will also be talking about the Red Sox and their series sweep in New York talk about their solid pitching. We'll also talk about bottom of the order needs to produce a little bit more. I'll also take a look at the upcoming schedule for the Red Sox, as well as some news and notes from around Major League Baseball. And then we will get to the Celtics. I'll talk about their inconsistencies, you know, as usual. Um, We will get to some opinions that, you know, might get some people a little bit annoyed, but, you know, I'll talk about the Celtics, what's next. And, you know, where do they where do they possibly go from here? You know, what needs to happen in the offseason? We'll take a look at their remaining schedule this season. We'll also get to some news and notes from around the NBA. Then we will get to uh, talking about the revolution. And then we will talk about Terrence Clark and his meaning to the Boston basketball community. All right, let's go. And what's up, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden, and uh, we got a lot to get to today. Really excited about today's podcast. We are uh, recording the day of the first round of the NFL Draft. Really excited to get to the mock draft. Uh, Also really excited for uh, tomorrow's reaction um, that I will be putting out as a reaction to the first round. So definitely look for that tomorrow. But just, you know, really excited to talk about this draft, talk about, um, you know, what we think is going to happen. I mean, obviously, probably won't go the way that I think it's going to go, but, you know, we we will see. So um, as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at NotBoston. You can also follow us on Facebook. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Um, So I figure let's just get right into it. Um, NFL Draft tonight, 8 o'clock, first round. So, you know, obviously NFL has been doing this for a couple years now, doing the first round um, on one night, you know, makes it, I think, a little bit more exciting. You know, the only frustrating part is sometimes it takes a really long time. You know, I think that last year it was maybe three and a half hours. 
to get through all 32 picks, which um, hopefully it doesn't take that long this year. But, you know, I guess you never know. Last year, obviously, was the uh, virtual event. So uh, they're back in person a, a little bit this year. I think there's some prospects that will be at the draft. Obviously, Roger Goodell will be there, probably some fans. Um, I would imagine, you know, obviously it's not going to be full uh, packed house type of thing, but um, it will be pretty significant. Um, So I think, you know, logically it makes sense for us to start with the Patriots. Um, You know, I'll be honest, that's probably why you're uh, listening to this podcast, uh, to figure out what it is the Patriots are going to do. And uh, let me just tell you, Right off the bat, I don't really know what they're going to do. Um, I think that the the best thing that we can do is try to you know guess what it is they're trying to do. But I think that a lot of people you know seem to point to the fact that they spent a lot of money in free agency and you know that they've built some of their offense you know around that you know next quarterback, whoever it might be, because it's probably not you know Cam Newton or Jarrett Stidham. I mean, I don't really think that the Patriots have too much confidence in either of those guys to kind of be their, you know, next guy. I mean, Cam Newton, obviously, they signed him to a deal with heavy, heavy incentives. Um, And then you got Jared Stidham on the roster. So it's like, you know, what do, what is the most logical thing for the Patriots to do? And I think that a lot of people would tell you that this is, this is an opportunity that you have to select a quarterback that, can be that quarterback of the future. And I think that, you know, based on some of the trades, some of the rumors um, that the Patriots could be in great position to move up in this draft or, you know, could be in position to get that quarterback of the future. Um, So I think that logically that's the position that a lot of people think that they're going to go in. I also think it's the position or or I think it's the way that a lot of people want to see them go in. Um, you know, just because there's been that uncertainty about who's next um, and who's that next quarterback. So I think in terms of the quarterback, you know, I think that it's still very realistic that the Patriots trade into the top 10. Um, Looking at seven or eight, um, I think that, you know, it's possible maybe they make a trade with Carolina. Maybe it's possible they make a trade uh, with Detroit. You know, if you think about other teams in the top 10 that might be willing to trade their picks, you know, I think if you look at the Dolphins at number six, you know, I don't think that the Dolphins are going to be super excited to trade with the Patriots. So I think that's out. You know, I think that is there a possibility that they trade with Atlanta for the fourth pick? You know, I think that it's a possibility, but I think at the same time, you know, trading up to number four is going to uh, cost you a lot. You know, and more often, more likely than not, it's going to cost you two first-round picks. You know, this year's pick, next year's pick, and probably some other ones. So I think then the question becomes, you know, is that worth it? And some people might think, yes, it's worth it because you are trading up to try to get that quarterback. You know, I think that you could still trade to seven and have a chance to select Justin Fields or Trey Lance, assuming that that's the way you want to go. You know, so I think that both of those guys, I think, are very logical, are are definitely two logical quarterbacks that the Patriots could go after. Um, I think that they like both of them. You know, I think that Lance, maybe there's a little concern that he only played one game this past year, but I think it's very clear by watching him and watching, you know, 
tapes of his, maybe from 2019, you know, clearly he's really talented and is someone who probably with some seasoning, you know, can become a really, really good dual threat quarterback. And I think that Fields can also be the same way. Um, so I think, I think that, you know, I don't want to get people's hopes up, but I think that logically, like, I think that they do have a great opportunity to select either one of those guys. Um, and obviously this is assuming that neither one of those guys go in the top three picks, which I don't think that they will. I think that maybe there is a possibility that one of them gets picked by the 49ers. Um, but I really don't think that any other team is going to draft a quarterback before, you know, eight. I think that maybe Carolina picks one, but I think that that would be kind of strange considering they just traded for Sam Darnold um, a number of weeks ago. Now, Sam Darnold obviously is not, you know, an amazing quarterback, but, you know, that just would seem strange to me that they would trade for him and then draft a quarterback in the first round. Um, I don't know. That just seems strange to me. And I think that, you know, looking at a team like Denver, who just traded for Teddy Bridgewater, you know, and they also have Drew Locke, you know, I don't know what the purpose would be for them to select a quarterback. I still think that they will pick a quarterback. I just don't know if it makes sense for them to pick a quarterback in the first round. Um, So I think, you know, getting back to the Patriots, you know, I think that a lot of people want them to get a quarterback, and I think that that's fair. But I also think that there are some people that need to kind of prepare themselves um, in case they don't take a quarterback, which, you know, I think is very possible because the Patriots, a lot of time, a lot of the time, you know, do things that people don't expect, you know, that people think you should do one thing and they do the other. So I think if, if that's what's going to happen, I think that you're looking at, you know, either a defensive lineman or, you know, a defensive player that's really talented that, you know, falls to them at 15. So someone like Christian Barmore from Alabama, I think there's a possibility that he's a player that if he's not picked in the first round, or if he's not picked maybe in the top, you know, 12 or 15, that maybe he goes to the second round. Um, I think that he's a logical addition for the Patriots. Defensive lineman can, you know, help you with, you know, some some beef along or in that, like, defensive tackle spot, but is also someone who's athletic enough that can also uh, rush the quarterback a little bit. Um, I think... Losing Adam Butler, you know, he's a guy that can kind of slide right in and play that type of position. Um, I think that if if there's a chance that Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State, you know, somehow falls to the Patriots at 15, you know, they would be really silly not to pick him. Um, I also think that, you know, with J.C. Jackson, you know, just being under contract for this season— and Stephon Gilmore having one year left on his contract, you know, there's a little bit of uncertainty at that cornerback position. And so I think that the Patriots, you know, assuming that the quarterback and trading up doesn't work out, the cornerback is another position that they could look at. You know, someone like a Patrick Sertan the second, uh, J.C. Horn from South Carolina, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. I know that there's some concerns 
about Farley, specifically some injury concerns. But, you know, I think that the talent is there, and I think that the Patriots, you know, could absolutely be in position to uh, select someone like that. So I think most likely, you know, it's going to be one of two things. The Patriots will trade up and get Trey Lance or Justin Fields, or they will stay at 15 and select a defensive player. Uh, Now, I think that there is a possibility that the Patriots could trade back um, and try to see if they could get some more picks because they only have one second-round pick. They might want to get another. Um, So I think that that's a possibility, too. Um, In terms of, you know, what we're looking at in terms of the latest rumors, you know, I think that it's interesting because, you know, and I said this before, a couple of weeks ago that just be very careful about, you know, which rumors you trust. And I think that, you know, there's going to be rumors flying left and right about all kinds of teams trading up, trading down. And it just is like, I think it's sometimes hard to know what to believe, but I think like you're seeing this happen because I think this draft is, you know, one of these drafts that I think really could go a million different ways that I think really after the first two picks, it could really go anywhere. I mean, I think that everyone's pretty much decided on those first two picks. Um, But, you know, after that, there's really nothing set in stone. Um, You know, obviously there's some rumors about the 49ers um, and, you know, who they were going to take, that they have a number of guys that they like. I mean, I think that that's probably just, you know, something that they're putting out to distract people. And they probably know, you know, within the organization who they're going to take at number three. So, you know, that was interesting. Um, I think that, you know, obviously there's some of the teams that are interested in trading out of their picks. You know, I think Atlanta, don't be surprised. So I think Miami is interesting because they are in a position where they could trade out. But I also think that they have an opportunity at number six to select a really good, you know, offensive player, whether Kyle Pitts drops to them at six, you know, or they have an opportunity to draft uh, Jamar Chase or uh, Devontae Smith, you know, that they might go for that. So I think that that would be something, what Miami does is something interesting to watch. Um, So I think without further ado, let's get to the mock draft. So Uh, This will be kind of a a live mock draft that I'm going to do. I've um, done this a couple times on uh, NFL.com, predict the pick. And this is something that you guys can do uh, before the draft. You do a predict the pick and, you know, see how many picks you can get right. Um, Really fun tool. I've used it a couple times. So, you know, let's just start it. So, obviously, not really going to waste any time with the first two picks. Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence and Jaguars are um, a perfect match. I really think that, you know, he's a guy that definitely could turn around uh, their franchise. As far as the Jets, I think that they're going to be pretty set with Zach Wilson. I mean, I think that there really really hasn't been anything to the contrary that tells you that these two picks are going to go any other direction than Lawrence and Wilson. Uh, San Francisco is where it gets really interesting. I think that there's a possibility that they select Lance Fields or Mac Jones. Um, and this, I will just say that I am just going to go how I think this is going to go. I'm not going to say that this is definitely how it's going to go. Um, but I think the 49ers like Mac Jones. Um, and I think that they're going to overdraft him here. 
Um, I just, I really don't know why I think this is the direction that they're going, but I just think that uh, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, you know, like this type of quarterback, a guy who can, you know, sit in the pocket, pick apart the defenses, is very accurate. Um, You know, I have my own concerns about him as a pro, but I think the 49ers like him enough that they're going to make him um, the third overall pick. So that's where I think 49ers will go. And then the Falcons. So the Falcons, I think, may try to trade out of this pick. I think that we're doing this mock draft with the assumption that there won't be any trades. Um, But obviously, there probably will. Um, So the Falcons sitting at four. So the Falcons are interesting because... I don't really necessarily think that they need a quarterback. You know, they have they have Matt Ryan. They kind of have some thoughts about maybe trading Julio Jones. Um, you know, they could draft a quarterback. I just, I think that they just have a ton of other needs. They do have a ton of other defensive needs. But here's the interesting thing is some of the defensive players that are on the board here, I don't really think are players that, you know, should be drafted at fourth overall. You know, I think that it would be kind of a stretch to pick any defensive player this high. Um, So I think the Falcons are going to go take Kyle Pitts because I think that they are looking for a really good, you know, dynamic offensive player. You know, especially if they're thinking about actually trading Julio Jones, getting some assets out of that. You know, you want to find another kind of athletic physical freak that you can put into that offense. So that's why I think the Falcons are taking Kyle Pitts at four. Um, Cincinnati, I know a lot of people think that they might do the sexy thing and pick Jamar Chase, former teammate of Joe Burrow, but I think that Cincinnati has a lot of other needs. Um, And I think offensive line is really the biggest thing that they need. So Penny Sewell, I think from Oregon, will go fifth to the Bengals. And then the Dolphins at six, I think that, you know, they definitely need some more playmakers um, on that offense. So uh, Dolphins at six won't get a chance to take Kyle Pitts, but I think that they will uh, take Jamar Chase as the uh, first receiver uh, off the board. Um, Then the Lions here at seven, you know, I think that, again, they're another team that I think could use I'm a playmaker on offense because they've lost a lot of different guys um, on on their offense in the last couple of years. Um, Kenny Galladay, obviously, this offseason. Uh, Marvin Jones this offseason. And, you know, you got a new quarterback with Jared Goff. And so I think that you want to try to surround, surround him with as many playmakers as possible. So I think that the Lions will continue the wide receiver trend um, and take Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner, out of Alabama at seven. I know that there are people that have concerns about his height and his weight, but it's like, I I don't know. It's just like, I don't understand why in sports we always have to do this, that if someone is slight, you know, Smith is six foot 175 or something like that. And we automatically assume because a person's not big enough that they're not going to make much of a difference. And it's like, how many times have we seen athletes that have proven everyone wrong and, you know, performed at a level that, you know, it shocks some people. But Devontae Smith, I think, is an extremely hard worker. He's a kid that, 
you know, is at Alabama under Nick Saban, you know, understands what it takes to win, understands what it takes to be a successful pro. And so I really think that he's a guy that's going to make a solid NFL career out of himself. But um, I think going to Detroit makes sense. Um, And then you got the Panthers at eight. And some people, you know, think that maybe this is a quarterback position, but I think, or this is a quarterback pick, but I think that Carolina, like a team like Cincinnati, has a lot of needs, and I don't think quarterback really is at the top of their list. You know, they have a lot of other positions that they need to fill. So I think that uh, most likely what they're going to do here is go offensive line or cornerback. You know, they're obviously it's at eight. There are a lot of good cornerbacks still on the board. Um, but I think that offensive line for Sam Darnold, trying to get him back to what he was, or what people thought he was going to be with the Jets, um, and get some more protection for that offense. Um, I think that they go over Sean Slater, offensive tackle from Northwestern at eight. Um, and then we get to Denver. And a lot of people, you know, saw after the trade that uh, Adam Schefter, you know, made it clear that this does not take Denver out of selecting a quarterback. But um, I tend to disagree with that. I think that Well, okay. I should revise what I just said. I think that what they're going to do is they're going to draft a quarterback in the middle rounds um, that maybe they take Kellen Mond or uh, Davis Mills or someone like that um, and kind of push Bridgewater and Drew Locke. Um, I don't think that they're taking a quarterback in the first round. Um, I just think that they have other needs as well. Um, And I think that this might be a little bit of a reach um, but I think that Denver, you know, trying to get back the strong defense that they had when they won the Super Bowl, um, this is going to upset uh, my buddy Eric Bellier, but I think the Broncos reach and take Micah Parsons at nine. Um, I think that they're a team that, you know, really needs help on the defensive side. Um, and I think they really could load up at that defensive position already with Bradley Chubb. Um so I think Broncos will go Micah Parsons, um, and then the Cowboys will sit at number 10 uh, with the opportunity to select uh, one of the best cornerbacks um, in the draft. So I think this is what's going to happen. I think that um, the Cowboys, obviously cornerback is kind of the top of their list, um, and I think that they uh, have an opportunity and take uh, Patrick Sertan the second at 10. Um, Then the Giants pick at 11. I know that uh, Eric was not going to be super happy for me uh, because actually in one of my mock drafts, I actually had uh, the Giants taking uh, Micah Parsons. But I think that the Broncos take him and then the Giants um, really in need of a linebacker, um, also in need of offensive line as well. Um, But I think the Giants were rumored to maybe be interested in trading out, um, but I think that they stick with the linebacker, um, take Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from Notre Dame at 11. And then the Eagles at 12, um, another team that's really in need of some um, help at wide receiver. I think that they go Jalen Waddle here from Alabama. Um, and then the Chargers, who I think in a normal situation would be looking at offensive line, um, see that J.C. Horn 
has fallen to them at 13, and they do not pass that up. Um, so I think that the J.C. Horn goes to the Chargers, and then the Vikings in serious need of some line help um, on the offensive and defensive line. Um, I think that they choose to go offensive, try to help out that unit with Dalvin Cook, and they take Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech at 14. And then here are the Patriots. At 15, I think that they get pretty lucky um, with Justin Fields and Trey Lance falling to them at 15. Um, I know that that might be crazy to some people, but I really just think looking at some of these teams, quarterback is not really a position that they desperately need. Um, So I think the Patriots at 15, you know, and so this mock draft is assuming that there are no trades, you know, which is bananas because there definitely will be trades. Um, But I think if the Patriots have an opportunity to select either Fields or Lance, I think that they're going to go with Fields uh, because I think they've been rumored to be very, very interested in him. Um, So I think the Patriots take Justin Fields to be their next quarterback of the future at 15. Um, Then the Cardinals, you know, there were some rumors that they would be interested in trading into the top five to try to get... um, Kyle Pitts, but I don't think that's a possibility. I think that cornerback is a position of need for them at 16. Um, You know, offensive line is also up there, but I really think that um, this Cardinals team, you know, needs some help on the outside in terms of uh, cornerback. So I think that they take Greg Newsom, the second from um, Northwestern at 16. And the Raiders at 17, um, I think needs some help on that interior line. Um, so they take Alajay Vera Tucker from USC, an offensive guard at 17. And then the Dolphins come up again at number 18, already drafting uh, Jamar Chase. So I think that the Dolphins, you know, in need of some defensive line help, see that Christian Barmore has fallen, has fallen all the way to them at 18. So I think that that's where they go. At 18, take Barmore, and then you got Washington at number 19. Um, So I think that, you know, Washington either goes offensive line or linebacker with this pick. Um, I think that defensively, Washington's always been a pretty solid team, so I think that, you know, they look for help on the offensive line. So I think that they take uh, Landon Dickerson from Alabama, really solid interior lineman at 19. And then you have the Bears at 20, who I think most likely, um, unless someone really falls, you know, are looking at a wide receiver or, um, excuse me, um, are looking at um, offensive line or wide receiver. Oh, totally forgot that uh, Trey Lance will fly. Whoa, I need to back up a second. I forgot that Trey Lance was on there, but I don't think Arizona is picking him. I don't think Washington is picking or I don't think. Las Vegas is picking them. I'm going to go back a step to Washington um, because I just realized that I forgot Trey Lance was still on the board. Um, But I think Miami takes Barmore at 18. Washington, seeing that Trey Lance is still available, uh, will take him at 19th. Um, And then at number 20 with the Bears, um, I think that they they go offensive line and they take Landon Dickerson um, at 20, just missing out on Trey Lance. Um, Then the Colts at 21, I think that they're going to go defensive line with this pick. Uh, Jason Owe from uh, Penn State. 
I think is the pick here. Uh, the Titans, I think seeing some top offensive linemen go off the board, I think that they uh, will go wide receiver, take Elijah Moore from Mississippi at 22. And then the Jets, I think um, Caleb Farley, I think falling a little bit. I think some people thought he'd maybe be in the top 15 or top 20, but I think the Jets uh, take a chance on Farley at 23. Um, and then the Steelers, I think seeing some offensive linemen being taken previously, um, I think that they really go, you know, they, they really go at trying to address the running back position. So I think that they will go with Najee Harris from Alabama at 24. Um, and then Jacksonville at 25, obviously address the quarterback. Um, offensive line, also a position of need. So I think that's where they go. They get Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State to help protect Trevor Lawrence. Um, and then the Cleveland Browns at 26. Uh, defensive line, definitely the top of the list for them. So they get Quiddy Pay from Michigan. Uh, also, um, I believe he's from Rhode Island, so a little bit of a New England connection there. But the Browns get, get him at 26th, uh, the Ravens at 27, uh, see Zayvon Collins fall to them. Uh, I think he's going to be one of the best linebackers from this class. So I think the Ravens absolutely cannot uh, pass him up. I know that there's some thought that they would look at someone like Kadarius Toney, but um, I think that Zayvon Collins at 27, way too hard to pass him up. So I think Baltimore goes in his direction. Um, then the Saints at 28. I think that they could go cornerback, but I think the Saints uh, actually go wide receiver and snag Kadarius Toney at 28. Um, then you have Green Bay, a, a bunch of needs. I was surprised to see some people have them taking a wide receiver at 29 um, because I think defensively they definitely need a little bit more help. So I think this is where they go. Um, they get Jalen Phillips from Miami at 29. And then Buffalo, continuing the defensive line trend, uh, will take Aziz Ojolari from Georgia at 30. And then the Ravens, you know, with two picks, uh, miss out on Kadar Kadarius Toney, but I think they come back and they take uh, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota here at 31. It's a little bit of a reach, but I think that the Ravens definitely are in need of kind of a big-time wide receiver um, and Bateman, I think, is the best one available. Um, and then the Buccaneers at 32 close out the first round um, by taking Quinn Meniers. Meniers. Miners. I think that's how you say it. Uh, from Wisconsin Whitewater. I think that the Buccaneers need some help eventually at the interior offensive line spot. So I think that's where they go here um, at number 32. So that will do it. I think we're going to go through our picks again, just to make sure that we've got them all. Um, Trevor Lawrence, number one to the Jaguars. Number two, Zach Wilson to the Jets. Number three, Mac Jones to the 49ers. Four, uh, Mike, uh, Kyle Pitts to Atlanta. Uh, five, Pene Sewell from uh, for the Bengals. Uh, six, the Dolphins take Jamar Chase. Seventh, the Lions take Devontae Smith. Eighth, 
The Panthers take Rashawn Slater. Ninth, the Buccaneers take Micah Parsons. Tenth, the Cowboys take Patrick Sertan. The second, the Giants at 11 take Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. The Eagles at number 12 take Jalen Waddell. The Chargers at number 13 take J.C. Horn. The uh, Vikings at number 14 take Christian Darrisaw. The Patriots at 15 take Justin Fields. Greg Newsom, the second, goes 16th to Arizona. Elijah Vera Tucker goes to um, the Vegas Raiders at 17. Christian Barmore goes to the Dolphins at 18. Uh, Trey Lance goes to Washington at 19th. Landon Dickerson goes to the Bears at 20th. Jason Oway goes to the Colts at 21. Elijah Moore goes to the Titans at 22. 23rd, the Jets take Caleb Farley. At 24th, the Steelers take Najee Harris. 25th, the Buccaneers, or the uh, Jaguars take Tevin Jenkins. The Browns at 26th take Quiddy Pay. The uh, Ravens at 27 take Zaven Collins. The uh, Saints at 28 take Kadarius Toney. Packers at 29 take Jalen Phillips. 30th, the Bills take Aziz Ojolari. And then 31, the uh, Ravens take Rashad Bateman. And then the Buccaneers at 32 take Quinn Miners. I think that's how you say it. Almost positive if I uh, screwed up any picks or screwed up any names. Well, glad I'm not the commissioner. <laughs> um, so I think... Just other NFL news, Teddy Bridgewater going to uh, the Broncos yesterday, which we talked about briefly in the mock draft. Um, so I think that does it take the Broncos out of quarterback running or does it take them out of taking a quarterback? No, but I think it takes them out of taking a first round quarterback uh, to be clear on that. So obviously it's going to be an interesting night for the Patriots. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see if they trade up. You know, do they stay at 15? I think that if the Patriots stay at 15, outside possibility they could select a quarterback. But I also think that there are going to be other teams that are going to be very, very interested in trading into uh, the top 10, like the Patriots, in in, uh, in in trying to get a quarterback. I think Washington and Chicago are two teams to watch in terms of that. Um, so that probably, you know, does it for the NFL. I know that there's... Uh, rumors about Jimmy Garoppolo swirling, but um, I think the Patriots would be smart to stay away from that. Um, and I think that, you know, there are some rumors that the 49ers are not looking to trade him unless they get blown away. And I think that, you know, unless Jimmy Garoppolo comes at next to nothing, the Patriots are not going to be trading for him. Um, I don't think that that's, that's going to happen. So uh, we will move to the NHL. We'll talk about the Bruins. Um, before I say that, though, definitely... Uh, keep an eye out for my reaction to round one uh, tomorrow. So we'll get to the Bruins, uh, talk about the Bees. A really nice bounce-back win for them um, in Pittsburgh on Tuesday night. Um, obviously, the last two games had been pretty big frustration for the Bruins. Bruins really um, got behind the eight ball really early. Um, in Buffalo, falling behind 5-1, to one, they actually made it 5-4. to four. Um, in the last few minutes, but were unable to complete the comeback. Um, it really just was an ugly game. Bruins just really were not ready to play, um, you know, and had to work really hard to get back in the game. 
And then a one nothing loss to the Penguins on Sunday was even more frustrating because the Bruins' inability to convert at 5-on-5, five five, you know, reared its ugly head again, um, despite a great performance by Jeremy Swayman. So it was a huge game on Tuesday night. You know, this was a game that um, you expect that your leaders are going to come up big, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, the top line was awesome. Uh, David Krejci was really good. Tuka Rask was outstanding. Um, was a couple minutes away from a shutout, but this is one of those games that, you know, your leadership comes up big. And I think that, you know, it's been it's been a test for a lot of guys in that room that, you know, don't have the crutch of Zidane Chara in there. That, you know, it's up to the guys in there. And not to say that I don't have confidence in Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marsh, and David Krejci, you know, the guys who are members of this core. But it definitely, I think, has been an adjustment for a lot of those guys that they are being relied upon to do even more than they did previously. And so I think that, you know, really, honestly, what you've seen from Brad Marchand has been amazing. You know, he's a guy that has put himself in the middle of the MVP race uh, for the Hart Trophy. And I think that he's a guy that has really come into his own as a leader um, and has really done a lot of great things to, you know, help get the boys going when, you know, they're not playing well, you know, whether it's a big hit, whether he makes a big play, scores a goal, you know, he's one of those guys that just, you know, leads by example. And, you know, Bergeron's one of those guys too, that also leads by example and does a tremendous job with that. Um, And so I think this was one of those games where leaders came up big, scored some goals, made some plays, you know, Taylor Hall scoring a Taylor Hall goal, you know, he's been on a roll. Um, since coming to the Bruins, I think it's four goals in nine games. So, you know, I think that it was a, a great win for your for your team, a really kind of leadership-type win where your leaders came up big, you got some big plays from big players. Um, and I think that the Bruins, you know, should be right back on track, you know, after a couple of losses. But um, it was outstanding. It was a really outstanding win for the Bruins. Tuesday night, getting goals from David Krejci, Taylor Hall, and um, uh, Marshand. Um, so, Bruins tonight hosting the uh, Buffalo Sabres at TD Garden. Bruins will play the last two games of their last two games of the season series against Buffalo tonight, and on Saturday afternoon, then the Bruins will finish up. Um, the season series with the Devils, I think, at ne- next week. So um, I think for the Bruins going forward, you know, it's it's great to see that the top line is starting to figure things out a little bit. You know, I think that David Posternak is a guy that's been fighting it recently. And um, I said this to one of my friends the other day that, yes, he might be struggling. You know, I don't think he has a goal scored in 19 games, I think. Or maybe it's a power play goal in night, in, whatever it is. You know, he's been struggling, but I think the important thing is he's doing a lot of things right. You know, that he may make some mistakes offensively. You know, he may be struggling to score goals, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't play hard. You know, he's a guy that back checks and helps defensively. You know, I know that it's easy to get down on yourself when you're when you're not able to score at the rate that you expect to. But I think that the fact that 
he's making plays and he's trying and is really getting close, you know, I think that that's enough for me. And I think at some point he will go on a scoring tear and I think that it will really help the team. Um, the second line, I mean, <laughs> David Krejci is playing the best hockey I've seen him play in a very long time. And I think a lot of it is due to, you know, he finally has a winger that, uh, produces consistently and brings it every night and competes and um, actually wants to help this team win. And it's, it's just awesome. It's just awesome to see the two of them playing so well off each other. You know, having Craig Smith on that line, you know, it's really ignited the Bruins five on five. Um, And it's just, it's just awesome to see that Taylor Hall, you know, finally is in a place where he's not expected to do everything. He's not expected to, be the guy that, you know, has to carry the burden of the entire offense. You know, you put him on the second line playing with one of the most underrated centers in the league right now. And it ju- it just is so awesome to see that that's what's happening for him. Um, and I think the defense has been pretty solid. Um, it's good to see that Kevin Miller has been able to stay healthy and play the last couple of games. Um, but, you know... <laughs> I just, it's just, it's it's amazing watching Matt Grizzlick and Charlie McAvoy um, as that top pair because they move the puck, you know, so well, always in the right place at the right time defensively, um, you know, take their chances offensively, but are smart about it. Um, and then you have Mike Riley, who's a tremendous play driver, you know, I think it's just exactly what the doctor ordered for the Bruins. Um, and I think that, you know, you're finally getting some, some, continuity at the goalie position that Rask is back and is playing really, really well. You know, you got Swayman in a couple times and he, you know, has continued to play well. Um, and so that, you know, leads into our next segment about the seventh player. I know there was a lot of conversation last week about that, a lot of uh, stuff flying around on Twitter, but I think that, you know, there are a couple of worthy candidates um, for the seventh player. Um, my personal choice is Jeremy Swayman. I know that that might surprise some people. I know that a lot of people most likely are going to vote for Nick Ritchie, which I think makes sense. Um, but I think Swayman, when you look at what the award means, you know, meaning a player that has gone above and beyond and exceeded expectations. And I think Nick Ritchie in a way has exceeded expectations. Um, but I don't know if he's gone above and beyond exactly. I think that Jeremy Swayman has gone above and beyond because he wasn't even supposed to be with the Bruins this year. You know, I think in a perfect world, he never would have been called up. You know, maybe he plays a game at the end of the regular season, maybe Vladar does, but, you know, with having Brass getting hurt and then Halak going on the COVID protocol list, you know, Swayman steps in and it's like he'd been playing goalie for, for 10 years. You know, he's been unbelievable. He's started maybe seven games and I don't think has allowed more than more than two or three goals, you know, in in one start. And um, I think he has been exactly what the seventh player award means. That's someone that exceeds expectations, you know, someone that wasn't even really supposed to be with the big club, you know, not only comes up and plays, but excels and truly does go above and beyond. So I think that, I think that he should win. I think that's my pick, but you know, if people want to pick Stephen Camper, people want to pick uh, Nick Ritchie, if people want to pick Kevin Miller, you know, I understand that. I think that there 
are arguments to be made for a bunch of different players. Um, but I think Swayman, to me, has been the person that most exemplifies the award. So um, I think that it will be awarded sometime in the future, maybe a week or so. I'm not exactly sure, but um, definitely. I think that there are just a, bun- a bunch of guys who are worthy of the award. So it'll be interesting to see who the fans voted for. Um, so looking at the Bruins and looking at the rest of their schedule the rest of the season, I mentioned that they have uh, two weekend games against Buffalo. Or, well, Thursday night tonight is kind of like the weekend, but then they have uh, the Saturday afternoon game against the uh, the Sabres at the Garden. So I think it makes sense as the Bruins uh, close out the month of April and go into May that we look at the rest of their schedule. So Bruins, obviously, the two against Buffalo, that I, like, like I mentioned, and then they play uh, two games back-to-back next Monday and Tuesday um, in Newark, playing the Devils, closing out their season series. Um, and then next weekend, Bruins play the Islanders on Thursday, or the uh, Rangers, excuse me, on Thursday and on Saturday. Both of those games are at the Garden. And then the Bruins close the regular season May 10th and May 11th against the Islanders at the Garden, and then they close the regular season um, in Washington against the Capitals. So we'll look at the standings in a little bit, but the Bruins, I think, again, really have a tremendous opportunity, especially in the next four games, to try to gain a little bit of ground in the East Division. Um, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see. I think that, you know, there could be a lot of volatility in the Eastern Eastern Division um, in the next couple of weeks, and I think... You'll see that in a lot of NHL divisions, too, you know, not just the East. Um, so, obviously, it's been a really tough season for Jake DeBrusque, and um, I've been someone that's that's been on him almost all season, and um, I think that we've not seen the compete level, you know, that, that, that we need to see from him, and I think that, you know, I feel like a broken record, you know, that I've said this a lot, and... Obviously, he's young. Obviously, he's 24 years old. And, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, you know, he's young and is still kind of figuring out kind of what it takes to be a regular NHL pro. But on the other hand, it's like he is 24 and he's played a lot of games in his NHL career, you know, and it just feels like he should be past the point of being benched every so often and should be past the point of getting called out pretty consistently by his coach. And it just, and I I don't know what it is, but I just think that, you know, maybe it's just he needs a a change of scenery. And I think that it's very possible that he could get traded this summer. And I just think that, you know, now bringing in Taylor Hall for, you know, playing with David Krejci, playing on that second line wing, he's, you know, basically taken what was DeBrusque's job. But I think at the same time, you know, sometimes DeBrus plays like, you know, his spot is guaranteed. And it's not just him. I think that there are other guys who have played like that this season, you know, and play like their jobs are secure that, okay, you know, there's no way I'm going to get traded or anything like that. You know, maybe I don't need to bring it every night. And I know that, and I feel like that's a bad thing to say because I know that most guys in the NHL, you know, are motivated to play. And sometimes just things just don't work out. But I just, he's not made enough of an impact for the Bruins. And 
I think that, you know, you look at what the Bruins are, a team that is a contender and a team that wants to go deep in the playoffs and wants to try to win championships. And you can't have any passengers on a team like that. Um, And so I think that's what you've been seeing from him, you know, in the last couple of years, that he's kind of become more of a passenger and isn't, you know, the aggressor, isn't the kid that, you know, basically single-handedly won that Maple Leaf series for you a couple years back in the playoffs. Um, And it just is like, I don't know where that guy has gone. And it's just, it's frustrating because you know that he has it in him. You know that he's not, you know, just some average player. I mean, he scored 27 goals two years ago, you know, scored 19 last year, and that's not bad. You know, the Bruins need him to be that type of guy, but, you know, for whatever reason, it's just not really working out. And so, you know, I'm not surprised that he got benched. I mean, I don't think that this is necessarily going to be the last time that he gets benched. Um, But I just hope that he can try to regain some of that confidence um, because the Bruins need him. I mean, the Bruins need that third line to give them something, you know, and Charlie Coyle's had a really tough season too. Um, But I think that the two of them, you know, if they play at a level that we expect them to, the Bruins are going to go really far. But I really think that, yes, you have these top two lines that are killing it, but you need something from that third line and the Bruins really are not getting it. So, you know, I think that's something to keep your eye on the rest of the season. I mean, into the summer, you know, do the Bruins decide to, to trade him. I really think that you could get something decent for him, you know, even though he's not been playing well, but you know, it just, uh, it's, it's just frustrating that we continue to kind of say the same things. We hear Bruce Cassidy saying the same things that the compete level is not there. And it's just like, it scares me because that's not something that you can teach. You know, that's something that inherently comes from a player of, you know, motivation, you know, compete level, you know, it's all the same thing. So that will be interesting to see. So we'll take a look at some other notes from around the NHL. Uh, It was a little, not disappointing. Well, I don't want to say disappointing because that sounds, you know, kind of messed up a little bit. But um, I was sad to see that uh, Jonathan Drouin has to take a leave uh, from the Montreal Canadiens. You know, obviously not really sure what's going on there, hoping that you know, things are okay mental health-wise. Um, you know, he was a guy that got traded out of Tampa Bay because he was, you know, unhappy with with, with where he was um, and has kind of not really found a great footing in Montreal, but, you know, hope that things are okay for him. Um, that's really, honestly, the last thing that you want to see from any NHL player, you know, no matter who the player is, no matter what team that they're on. Um, you know, this is something that, you know, came up at the beginning of the season when Jonathan Taves of the Blackhawks said that, you know, he was not going to play this season. So uh, certainly hope things are okay for him, you know, hoping that, you know, he can get back, you know, whenever he feels like he can. Um, so, you know, I was a little sad to kind of see that because it, it, it sucks whenever any player, you know, feels like that and feels like that they have to step away. But kudos to him for recognizing that, He's not in maybe a right place and, you know, wants to take a leave. You know, I think that we all need to understand that professional athletes are people too. You know, they're all just like us. You know, they just so happen to get paid a lot of money to, 
you know, entertain us, but they're still real. They're still real people too. And they still have real, real issues that, you know, we all have too. So, um, yeah, I, I hope, hope and, and wish him the best. Um, there were some, uh, some rumor or not rumors, but, um, that the NHL is talking about, um, adjusting the playoffs for any border rules for, you know, the, the, I think the, required quarantine i think when you travel is like seven to 14 days um so things could get interesting for the nhl playoffs specifically with the north division um but it sounds like the league has contingency plans in place in case you know anything needs to change not really sure what the what that would look like um you know i don't know if i don't think that they're going to be they would be doing a bubble um but i think at this point you can't really rule anything out um Obviously, the other big news in the NHL this week uh, was the new broadcast deal with uh, Turner Sports. Now, Turner Sports, uh, TNT, and TBS, um, and then also HBO Max to a lesser extent. Um, But all three of those will um, have NHL games that will be broadcast. Um, So the television deal, um, ESPN had picked up the the major one, um, but then there was another kind of secondary deal that they needed someone to pick up. Um, so TNT and TBS uh, will be uh, televising games starting next season and running through 2027 and 28. So it will be, you know, very interesting to see, very interesting to see, you know, broadcasters and, you know, who works games. Um, and the uh, Turner Sports Networks will also get uh, we'll also be we'll also get to televise the NHL Winter Classic, um, and they will also televise all the games in the Stanley Cup Final in 2023, 2025, and 2027. Uh, one conference final series each, each season, and then uh, half of the first two rounds of the playoffs, 72 regular season games. So um, great for the NHL. I think it's it's tremendous that you know we're seeing the league grow and you know, grow to be more of an accessible thing for uh, fans who are casual, you know, or fans that are new to the game and fans that, you know, are interested in hockey, but, you know, maybe aren't as in-depth, you know, interested as, as some of us are. But I think that really, like, you're seeing hockey games on ESPN, you're seeing them on TNT and TBS, I think is going to make more people interested. You know, I think that, you know, having, you know, HBO Max, having the ability to, to stream some games, um, and then ESPN Plus, you know, I think will basically be taking over NHL.TV. So I think it's 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 a lot of good things. I think it's a lot of good visibility uh, for some people. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, when we're talking about broadcasters and we're talking about, you know, talking about the game that we see some, you know, diversity and we don't see the same, you know, four white guys talking about getting pucks in deep and, you know, all the, all the boring stuff that casual fans don't want to, don't want to hear, you know, and I know that we, you want to be careful and not to, not to pander, but, you know, people want to, you, you want to have this game be as exciting and accessible to as many people as possible. You want as many people. Um, uh, you you want you want as many people interested. And I think 
the best way to do that is to, you know, make the intermission reports, the post-game reports, and things like that more fun, you know? People love watching the N- NBA on TNT. You know, they love watching the, the halftime shows and the uh, post-game, you know, Charles and, and Shaq. Not going to say that Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal are going to be talking about the NHL, but you want to kind of have that type of um, that type of interest and that type of, you know, banter that I think people are going to be interested in watching and people, you know, can get a good laugh out of. So, you know, I think it makes sense to maybe bring in other statistics, but you also want to be careful that, you know, people aren't super confused, you know, and I think that as much as advanced stats really do help us, a lot of us, you know, puckheads, you know, talk about the game and help us better understand it. You know, casual fans, that's not really something that I think they're interested in, you know? And so I think you have to kind of find that balance between, you know, pleasing the hardcore fans of the sport, but also pleasing, you know, people that are casual fans. And so I think that trying to find that medium, I think is going to be really, really important. You know, I'm hoping that you know, we see some, you know, new faces and fresh blood in um, NHL broadcasting. And, you know, we kind of get to see more than just, you know, old, old white guys just talk about hockey. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there are plenty of fantastic white commentators, but it's like you want to kind of see some, some different people. You want to kind of see some different perspectives. So um, just in general, I'm really excited to see what this means for the NHL and the game of hockey with these uh, new broadcast deals. Um, So we will get to some Red Sox. We'll talk about the Sox. They uh, had an incredible, (laughs) really honestly an incredible series against the Mets. uh, 3-1, to the combined scores of both games. Red Sox win 2-1 to on, uh, on Tuesday night. And then one nothing beating beating Jacob Degrom and the Mets one to nothing. So the uh, Red Sox have gotten tremendous pitching over the last two games. And yes, shocker, uh, Garrett Richards pitched probably one of his best games in years um, in the Red Sox win over the Mets two to one on Tuesday night. He was outstanding in this game. Uh, had ten strikeouts, uh, pitched into the seventh inning. And uh, got his first win of the season. So, um, you know, I was saying a couple weeks ago that the Red Sox have gotten great pitching from, you know, their top guys. And unfortunately, you know, Nathan Navaldi did not have a great start um, on Saturday, but the Red Sox were able to pick him up. You know, Eduardo Rodriguez got the win Sunday, Richards with the win on Tuesday, and then Nick Pavetta with a, another win last night. And so, you know, you are seeing the Red Sox having some great pitching, which is, you know, honestly, I, I've, I said time and time again that it's going to be imperative for them to have good pitching, for them to, you know, compete, so to speak. And, you know, not only have they gotten good pitching, they've gotten great pitching. You know, they have a number of guys that have gotten off to fantastic starts this season. You know, Rodriguez has won... Um, Rodriguez has won all four of his starts with two quality starts. Ivaldi is, you know, started the season 3-0. and And then you have Pavetta, who started the season 3-0 and with a 2.81 ERA. Um, and then you have Richards, who struggled in his first 
in his first three or so in his first four starts. Um, but then got a great, great pitching performance um, on Tuesday night. So I think things are, are starting to look up for the rest of the Red Sox rotation, you know, and not every pitcher is going to be great. Not every pitcher is going to be, you know, lights out, but you can get consistent pitching from everyone in your rotation, you know, you're going to be fine. And the Red Sox are sitting at 16 and nine tied for the best record in baseball. Um, you have Matt Barnes, who's pitching really well. I think Adam Ottavino is starting to come on a little bit um, after he had a rough start. Um, his ERA was, I think, close to nine, but it's now 3.86. And um, you've gotten unbelievable pitching from Garrett Whitlock, the Rule 5 draft pick from uh, the Yankees, I believe. And he's been lights out, does not um, have has a zero ERA, which is unbelievable, has no earned runs in uh, 13 and a third innings and has 18 strikeouts. So um, the Red Sox just getting good pitching everywhere. And do, will, will it last the whole season? You know, maybe not. You know, will they start to struggle a little bit at some point? You know, possibly. But I think that just the fact that they've gotten off to a good start and they are not, you know, digging themselves into a giant hole, you know, I think that it really helps them. It helps the, you know, morality of the of the club that everyone's happy when you're playing well. You know, fans are happy, media is happy, and the the Red Sox are, you know, are fun. You know, they're a fun team to watch. And I know a lot of people were not convinced that that was going to happen. You know, based on some of the moves they made in the off season. But you know, you're seeing the top guys in offense perform really well. You're seeing some really solid pitching. You know, um, and then looking at the offense, you know, J.D. Martinez is, you know, knocking the cover off the ball this year in uh, 23 games. He has seven home runs, 21 RBIs, and he's hitting 337. Uh, you have Rafael Devers, six homers, 19 RBIs at 294. Uh, Verdugo's having a really solid start to the season. He has 13 RBIs. Um, Xander Bogarts has been on an absolute tear recently. Um, now has three home runs, 12 RBIs, and is hitting 348. Um, and I think as far as what you need to see more consistency from is the bottom of the order. Um, and I think that that's the one area that for the Red Sox needs to be better. You know, I think that obviously you're, it's no surprise that your top guys are going to hit, you know, your Martinez's, your Bogarts, your Devers, your Verdugos, you know, of the world are going to be your guys that, that hit. But I think that What's really going to separate the Red Sox is their ability to hit in the bottom of the order. There have been some guys who've performed well, like Christian Arroyo's hitting 296 to start the season. But then you have guys like Hunter Renfro, Bobby Dahlbeck, that are really struggling to get hits. Dahlbeck did hit um, a home run his first of the season the other day against the Mets, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he's only hitting 234, you know, on base percentages under 300. You know, Renfro's really had a tough start to the season. Um, he is hitting 189. And then you have Fran Frenchy Cordero, who's, you know, had a really rough start to the season too. And, you know, starting to look like, okay, maybe the Red Sox, you know, bet on him a little too highly um, because, you know, he's been a guy that's, I don't want to say barely he's been in the lineup, but, you know, it just feels like he's not making too much of an impact. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if, that continues to, if that continues to happen, you know, order the Red Sox start getting some consistent hitting, but 
um, it is at least a positive that the Red Sox are where they are. You know, 16-9, and the offense is hitting well. You know, that the bottom of the order really is the one area that they've struggled with this season. You know, I think that the leadoff spot has also been a little bit of an issue. You know, Kike Hernandez hasn't exactly been the best leadoff guy. He's not, you know, hitting particularly well. He's not really getting on base very, uh, very well, but, you know, has three home runs, has eight RBIs, 23 hits in 96 at-bats. But, you know, you need a little bit more from him. You need a little bit more from kind of the bottom of the order. So that will be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks um, for the Red Sox. So I think it makes sense for us to look at uh, the rest of their, or not the rest of their schedule. If you want to look at the rest of their schedule, go through like a hundred or so games. Um, but I think looking through the next, um, looking through the next, um, I just realized we might have to jump back to the NHL cause I forgot to go through the standings, uh, but we will finish baseball first. So we'll take a look at the remain uh, the next schedule remaining schedule in the month of April um, and then the next few series for the Red Sox. So uh, Red Sox continue their road trip uh, going to Texas. They will start uh, the first of a four-game series tonight um, in Arlington against the Rangers. Um, and then the Red Sox will come back home May 4th um, and play the Detroit Tigers for three games. Then they'll go back out on the road um, and face Baltimore for four games. And then they'll be back home for six in a row against Oakland and Los Angeles, and that will take them to the middle of May. That's probably about as far as we can we should go. Um, the Red Sox will also play a number of um, National League East teams at the end of the month of May, couple with Philadelphia, Atlanta, and Miami, as that's the um, other division that the Red Sox will play this year. Um, or the... Excuse me, that it will be the only National League division that they play this season. It's usually, you know, every year they play one division. So this year it's the National League East. So obviously had that series with the Mets, and they will play Philadelphia, Atlanta, and Miami. And then probably at another later point they will play uh, Washington. So um, me realizing that uh, we did not talk about the NHL standings, we will go do that quickly, and then we'll go back to Major League Baseball. Or, no, wait, I said I, would fin- I, said I was going to finish baseball. I'm all over the place, just getting really nervous about this draft tonight. Um, but, okay, yes, we will go to Major League Baseball and talk about the standings, take a look around Major League Baseball. Um, George Springer finally makes his debut for the Jays. Uh, went 0 for 4 last night, but finally was in the lineup. Um, Bryce Harper took a high fastball off his face, but it sounds like he is okay. Um, and now, you know, taking a look at the standings, the Red Sox, as I said, you know, tied for the best record in baseball at 16 and 9, three games up on the Tampa Bay Rays in second place. Uh, the surprising Kansas City Royals, actually, I misspoke. I think they actually have the highest. Uh, winning percentage in baseball. So actually, technically, they have the best record. They are 15-8. and eight. They have been tremendous to start the season um, in first place over the White Sox by two and a half games. And you have Oakland in the West, who ripped off 
thir- 12 or 13 straight wins. So they are atop the American League West, game and a half ahead of the Houston Astros. Um, then in the National League, you got the Braves and the Phillies tied tied atop the National League East. No one in that division um, is over 500. Uh, Mets are a half game back of first place. Then in the Central, the Milwaukee Brewers at 14 and 10. They are in first place, two games ahead of the Cardinals and the surprising Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, then in the National League West, the Dodgers at 16 and 9. You know, really no surprises there, but. The San Francisco Giants have been playing really good baseball uh, to start the season. They are 16-9. and nine. Uh, They have won seven of their last ten. Um, so the Dodgers and the Giants tied for first in the West. The Padres two and a half games back of first place. So we will circle back to the NHL now, um, and then we will get to the Celtics. So as I mentioned, you know, with the Bruins, with their you know, four upcoming games against the, the Sabres and the Devils, you know, have a tremendous opportunity to climb a little further in the division. So um, Washington currently in the lead in the Mass Mutual East with 68 points, Pittsburgh in second with 67, then the Islanders with 63, Bruins with 62. So things are getting a little bit interesting for the Islanders right now as they are just a game, just a point ahead of the Bruins. Uh, Bruins do have a game in hand, but the Islanders have uh, fallen on hard times a little bit. Four, five, and one in their last ten. They've lost two straight, and uh, Bruins could pass them in the standings potentially. Not sure who the Islanders play tonight, but um, things could get very interesting for them. And it is interesting because the Islanders and the Rangers, uh, the Islanders have only played, or the Rangers have only played one more game from the Islanders, but they only have six games left. So things I think are not looking. Super great for the Rangers. I think they have to continue to win games and hope that someone goes on a losing streak. But um, I really don't think much is going to change in the East, you know, unless the Islanders really fall flat on their face. Um, But the Rangers, with only six games left, and the Islanders with seven, you know, they're kind of running out of time for that to happen. So um, Bruins, obviously, with 62, playing Buffalo for the next two nights and then New Jersey for the next two. So... Uh, that will be interesting to see how far they can climb up. Uh, Bruins do have two games in hand on Pittsburgh, only down by five points. So in the north, you have Toronto that have clinched a playoff berth. I think they clinched last night. Uh, they have a seven-point lead over Edmonton, so things are pretty things are pretty safe in Toronto for them to get the number one seed. Um, Edmonton in second, and then Winnipeg in third. They've fallen back as they've lost five straight games, so they are now in third in the division. And then Montreal still in fourth, six-point lead over Calgary with eight games to go. So things are uh, not looking great for Calgary. It looks like Montreal should be able to hang on uh, to that final playoff spot. Um, In the central, you have the top three teams have clinched a playoff berth already, Carolina, Florida, and Tampa Bay. Carolina atop the central with 71 points. Florida is two points back, but they do... Or Florida's two points back. Tampa Bay is three points back. Uh, Carolina and Tampa Bay with two games in hand on Florida. So Florida with only five games left in the regular season. So Tampa, Tampa Bay definitely with a chance to pass them. Um, currently, Nashville is in the fourth spot with 56 points. But then you have Dallas, you know, breathing down their neck just two points back. And they do have two games in hand. So Dallas, seven games left in the season. Nashville with only five. So things can get really kind of really interesting there. I think Chicago is too far back 
seven points back. They do have two games in hand on Nashville, but I think they're too far back uh, to make much of a push for the playoffs. Um, and then in the West, three playoff spots already clinched. You have Vegas atop the West with a six-point lead over Colorado. Colorado does have a game in hand. And then you have Minnesota in third place as they are uh, coming up really fast on Colorado. Uh, the Avalanche have lost three straight, so Minnesota is now uh, in a pretty good position that maybe they could pass them. Um, and then in fourth place, St. Louis is way back um, with 50 points. So um, I think St. Louis is pretty pretty safe in that fourth spot as they are just three points up on Arizona, but they do have three games in hand. Um, they have two games in hand on San Jose, who is five points back. So not thinking that much is going to change in the West. You know, I think you're going to see the top four be the top four. Um, I think you would also expect the same thing in the East and in the North. I really think the only division that you could see a change is Dallas potentially over Nashville um, with the games in hand as they're only two points back. So definitely that will be interesting to watch. So we will now get into the NBA, talk about uh, the Celtics and, you know, things are kind of the same, you know, it's, a, a, a solid win. Glad the Celtics could get a win last night. Um, but it just really has been a disappointing last week for them. You know, it really seemed like the Celtics, you know, snapping that six-game winning streak, losing to the Bulls, but then coming back with a great defensive performance against the Phoenix Suns. Um, and it really looked like, okay, this team is starting to catch its stride. But then, you know, you have guys missing in that Nets game. Not an excuse. The Celtics shot themselves in the foot a number of times in that Nets game. Um, the Celtics honestly really should have won that game, you know, and had a lot of mistakes down the stretch. Um, Marcus Smart, you know, passing the ball out of bounds to no one in the corner. You know, Fournier not, or Fournier choosing to double Blake Griffin with Marcus Smart on him and, you know, leaves the guy open for three. And it just is like, it's little things like that that are going to they're going to that are going to screw you in close games like that, um, and it's a lot of the reasons why the Celtics have struggled in those late game scenarios, um, you know. And then the Hornets blow them out on Sunday in a game that it really didn't look like the Celtics were very interested in playing. Um, and then you know the loss to the Thunder was really bad. Oklahoma City had lost fourteen straight games going into that game, and you know yeah, tanking is real in the NBA. And you better believe the Thunder were not trying to win that game. But uh, the Celtics did not do themselves any favors in that game. And, you know, it's a, it's a nice win last night against the Hornets because that's a team that's chasing you a little bit. But it just is like it's, it's hard to get excited about any win for this team right now because, you know, you, you just have no idea what to expect from this team night in and night out. You know, you would think that, the Celtics, you know, have that tough loss to the Hornets after, you know, or after if you had, you know, a short road trip of two losses, you know, down or in, in Brooklyn and then down to Charlotte and you're figuring, okay, Celtics come back. They got a pretty easy game against the Thunder, you know, a game that you should be able to get out to an early lead, maybe get the bench in at some point. And the Celtics, you know, just... 
didn't really seem to be super interested and the Thunder get the win and it's just this like back to kind of square one, back to where you were before winning six straight games, you know, and it's just, I, I'm, I'm past the point of having any sort of expectations for this team. Um, you know, I think that they are back to their old tricks, so to speak, that they, you know, are not bringing the consistent effort and, you know, the motivation's not there and things just aren't working. But, you know, it was good to see Aaron Neesmith have a really solid game last night, probably his best game of the season. Um, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, both with 35-plus um, in that game last night. Um, but it just is, it's, yeah, you can't really expect any for anything from this team. And, you know, it's just, I know that some people maybe are still hopeful that they can get the entire team back healthy and they can figure things out, but it just is like, I don't know. It's it's hard to have confidence in that. It's really hard to have confidence in that. You know, when you've seen a team that, you know, looks more like a team that, you know, is, is in no man's land, not close to the playoffs and not close to the lottery. It's like, that's what they're playing like. And it just is really, it's really frustrating. And I think that, you know, there might be something to be said for, this team and maybe thinking that it might be good for this team to have an early playoff exit, that it honestly might be good for them so that they can really get back to square one and reevaluate what they are because they're not a championship contender. What they are is a middling playoff team that most likely will lose in the first round. And it just is like, I think that for them to be realistic about what they are, that honestly might be good for them, that they might need to lose in a first-round playoff series or go to the play-in and lose in the play-in. You know, maybe that will give them reason to look in the mirror and be like, okay, we really have to evaluate what kind of team we are. And, you know, again, it goes back to the expectation thing. I think that, yes, from the beginning of the season, you thought that this team was going to challenge for the Eastern Conference Finals. It's obvious now that that's not really what this team is, you know, and I think that you need to be honest with yourself and realize that this is what this team is. This is a team that night in and night out is not going to bring the required energy and the effort every single night. You know, it's pretty obvious. You've seen this through 63 games that, you know, they really don't bring it consistently. Um, And so I think really... You can hope for, maybe they're all back healthy, they're all together, and they can get it figured out, but I think that's more hope than it is logic. You know, I think logic tells you that, you know, why why would you expect anything different? You know, so I think, you know, they're, they're sh- this offseason really should be a look in the mirror for the Celtics organization, and... Danny Ainge and how he, you know, needs to needs to build this team into a contender because they're really, they're not there right now. You know, I think that there are maybe too many guys that you're relying on that really don't have the ability to be as much of an impact player as you thought they were going to be. So, you know, I really think, and I've said this plenty of times in the last few weeks, you really have to go into this offseason identifying the players that you want to keep around, the players that you want to build around, and really start to reevaluate the other guys. 
you know, I think I've said it before. I think that you keep your core four of Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. You know, you keep Robert Williams, and you probably try to keep Evan Fournier. But outside of that, you really should not have any type of attachment to any other player. You know, even Aaron Neesmith. I know that he's a rookie, and I know that you wouldn't necessarily want to give up on him. And I know you wouldn't want to say the same for Peyton Pritchard, but, you know, I think that you got to reevaluate what this team is. You have to really look in the mirror and be like, this is what we are, and this is what we need to do to get back to the team that we know we can be. You know, it's just, again, it's just, it's impossible to expect anything from this team. You know, I think if you're expecting this team to go to the second round, I think you're crazy. You know, I think that the position that the Celtics are in right now they're kind of slipping further and further away from that 4-5 spot. You know, and a 6 seed right now gets you a series with the Milwaukee Bucks. And I don't know if you're... I don't think you're winning that series. I think you'd be lucky to win two games in that series. Um, so, you know, it's it's going to be a remaining schedule that is going to be key for them. It's a very easy schedule, but, you know, you saw how... Easy was supposed to go on Tuesday night, and they lose to the Thunder. So it's just like, again, it's impossible to expect anything from this team. I think really is just the, is, is really just kind of the moral of the story that, you know, you can look at the schedule and say, oh, these are easy games. But trust me, based on what you've seen from this team this year, there's no, there's no such thing as easy games. So uh, the Celtics take on the Spurs tomorrow night at the Garden um, then they will play Sunday night at the Garden against Portland. Then they will travel to Orlando and Chicago next week. Then they have two games against Miami. Then uh, road games against Cleveland, Minnesota, and New York. Season ends on May 16th for the Celtics. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what kind of is his next for them. Um, you know, next two games should be interesting. San Antonio... Uh, we'll take a look at the standings in a moment, but San Antonio with DeMar DeRozan, obviously, guy's been a proven scorer throughout his NBA career, so it should be um, an interesting game. I think that Derek White, for the Spurs, though, is expected to miss the rest of the season. He had been one of their better players this season um, than the Celtics, obviously, uh, the Portland Trailblazers on Sunday, and you know what they can do in the scoring department. So um, if the Celtics are going to win... Got to have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum probably each scoring 30 points to uh, to have a chance to win that game. Um, Some other notes from around the league. Um, Marcus Smart obviously had to miss last night's game for uh, threatening language toward an official uh, following the loss to the Thunder on Tuesday night. So he was unavailable last night. But um, the great thing, Robert Williams was back in the lineup last night. You know, Kemba Walker held out of the last two games because of an oblique strain. I think that that's smart. Really, there's no reason for him to be playing through an injury. But, you know, I think that if there's some glimmer of hope for the Celtics, it's getting this entire roster healthy, getting this entire roster to play together, and maybe, just maybe, a miracle happens. But, you know, again, it's it's you can't expect that. You cannot expect that. You can hope for it. You know, if you're an overly optimistic sports fan like I am, you know, I sometimes like to hope, but again, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's hope. And I think that's all it is for this team right now. Um, other notes from around the NBA, the Suns, 
clinching their first postseason playoff postseason berth in 11 seasons, thanks to the win against the Clippers last night. Um, so we'll take a look at the standings. The Lakers got Anthony Davis back uh, somewhat recently, so that was uh, good to see, I think, from a fan standpoint. Um, so looking at the standings right now in the Eastern Conference, uh, you have the Nets atop the East, a game ahead of the 76ers. The Bucks are in third. And uh, the Knicks, the surprising and exciting New York Knicks, are in fourth place in the Eastern Conference, uh, seven and a half back of first place, but they are a game in fourth place ahead of the fifth place Hawks. And then the Celtics currently in sixth right now. Celtics have the tiebreaker over the Heat, um, but they do have two games coming up in the next few weeks that will be huge in terms of um, a tiebreaker. Um, but the Celtics, you know, I think within striking distance of that four seed, but they really have to start stringing together some wins um, if they're going to have any hope of doing that. And I think that for the Celtics, if they could get into that 4-5 game, it gives them a better chance of winning a first-round playoff series. But that's probably it. You know, I think that that's their best hope for really doing anything. But then it's like, okay, you have to play the top seed in the second round. So, you know, we'll see. Um, and then for the play-in game, the Heat in 7th place, Hornets in 8th, Pacers in ninth, Wizards in 10th. Um, so how it works is the 7th seed will play the 8th seed. I think we've gone over this a few times, but it doesn't hurt to go over it again. 7th seed will play the 8th seed. The winner gets the 7th seed. And then the loser will play the winner of the 9 and 10 game. Um, so at the moment, the Heat and the Hornets would play, and then the Pacers and the Wizards would play. Um, winner of the Heat and Hornets would get the seven seed, and then the loser of that game would play the winner of the Pacers-Wizards. So uh, Washington in 10th, the Bulls and the Raptors two games out of that uh, play-in game at the moment. Um, and then in the West, you have the Jazz still atop the, still atop the conference uh, with, the, with the Suns, just a game back of first place in the West, and then the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Lakers are in uh, third, fourth, and fifth, and then you have Dallas in the sixth spot. Portland in the seventh spot, followed by Memphis, San Antonio, and Golden State. The Pelicans are four games back at that tenth spot. Um, so I'm be really excited to see uh, Portland and Memphis play each other in a play-in game. I think that that would be really interesting. So um, that's what we got for for the NBA. Um, Celtics obviously against the Spurs um, at the Garden tomorrow night at seven thirty. So. Quick little update on the Revolution. Revolution had their uh, home opener last weekend, a one nothing win against um, DC United. So a good win for the Revs. You know, I think that, you know, the goal that they scored was not the prettiest. Brandon By had a, a cross that was uh, deflected into the goal. You know, I think, I don't know what the official scoring on that, but I, I, I think Brandon By would be hard-pressed to see a goal come out of that just because it's like, it looks like to be a pretty serious own goal. But either way, it's in the net. They don't ask how, they ask how many. No, just kidding, that's hockey. Um, but the Revs get the win. I thought they played extremely well in this game. And I think that, um, um, I think that you're seeing um, a good start to the season. You know, Revs get the tie in the first game after falling behind 2 nothing early you know, and then are able to get the win. I think that's the biggest thing for them is 
getting off to a decent start so you don't feel like you're having to dig yourself out of a hole. But a really interesting first, you know, couple games into the season, and the Revs had a pretty good test um, against Atlanta on Saturday at 7. That game was also at Gillette. Um, Atlanta had kind of a disappointing season last season, but um, obviously it was one of the better teams in MLS two years ago. So um, I think it'll be an interesting test for the Revs. Uh, four points each of the team has. Um, in the MLS, it's three points for a win, one for a tie. So Revs and Atlanta both with four points, and they'll both go at it uh, 7 o'clock at Gillette. So that will be definitely interesting. So definitely tune into that if you are interested. Um, as far as the draft, I think in terms of a broadcast standpoint, I think first rounds tonight, rounds two and three tomorrow, and then the rest of them on Saturday. Um, one last little note uh, before we go, um, and it's kind of a, a tragic note, unfortunately, um, talking about the tragic accident that killed um, Terrence Clark. Uh, a Kentucky basketball player who um, was from Boston and had played at Brewster Academy in uh, high school, I believe. Um, and it just is, it's really tragic. You know, it's uh, anytime you lose a young, you know, promising athlete, it's just your, your heart breaks. Um, and it just is, I know that it's, I know that it's a tough thing to talk about because it is, really sad and it just is like losing someone before they even have a chance to you know show what it is they're made of you know I just couldn't help but kind of be a little happy just the impact that he made on the Boston basketball community and the impact that he made on you know a couple of the young Celtics that you know felt like he was like a brother to them like he was a brother to uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and it just you know is beautiful to see some of the pictures and obviously it's it's a tough time you know because um, it really just is tragic that we never got a chance to see you know Terrence blossom into 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 an NBA player and into in, into a man and it just um, it's just heartwarming to see that the Celtics community really come and rally around him and rally around, you know, his family. And, um, and Jalen Brown had said this maybe a day or so after his passing that um, it would do a great service to his family to hear his name called on uh, draft night um, in July. And I think that the NBA really could do a tremendous solid to the Celtics organization, to the Boston basketball community and, and Terrence Clark's family, you know, by hearing his name announced, you know, maybe they give the first round an extra pick or to give the second round an extra pick just to let his family be able to hear his name. I think that that's a tremendous idea. And um, just wanted to say that, you know, our, our thoughts and our, our prayers are with Terrence's family and with the whole Boston basketball community. Um, the Celtics had a really nice tribute for him before Tuesday night's game um, against the Thunder. So um, just wanted to close out with that. I know that's a really heavy way to close out uh, this week's episode, but um, just hope for the best for um, Terrence's family and really hope that we can um, hear his name called on draft night. Um, do that, that probably, that probably does it for me this week. Um, obviously look forward to the draft tonight. I'll have the uh, 
first round reaction tomorrow that will be out for you guys. Um, as always, you can follow the podcast on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at NotBoston. You can also listen to us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. All right, everyone, enjoy the draft, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.